Let's hit it. Booty Hoot Productions presents the Sports Deli Podcast, where everyone deserves a seat at the table. Where we discuss the intersection between race and sports, mental health, leadership, and equality. To find out more about the Sports Deli Podcast, check us out online at thesportsdelipodcast.com. We are starting to have free giveaways. If you hear giveaway anywhere in the podcast, send us an email to thesportsdeli at gmail.com with giveaway in the subject heading and in the body of the email, give us the answer to that podcast's specific question. When you hear someone say, make America great again, the first question you have is, well, when was America great? What I would say about Tom. Brady, yeah. If you don't want to be in this fight, then don't put a make America great hat up in your locker. Silently now, it appears that you are with the other group. Just don't get in the way. <laughs> Stephen A. Smith is my alter ego. Go somewhere else with that <laughs> John, she's roasting your ass. Colin Kaepernick, he's a hero in the same way that John Carlos and Tommy Smith were heroes. When George Floyd called out to his mother, he called out to all mothers, and I heard his call. So do you have white privilege? Absolutely. Now we have to be a voice as white people. African-American women last year changed the course of this of this nation. Um, women are the backbone, and now we need to support the souls that they stand on. And now whether you're folding laundry, driving, exercising, or cooking, grab your favorite deli sandwich or bagel and your favorite beverage, and let's do this together in the sports deli. Auntie, take us away. We're so excited to welcome on this 11th day of Caffeine Addiction Recovery Month, former parade all-american and national player of the year shay cotton the pride of inglewood california won a state championship at modern day before going on to play his college ball at alabama during that state championship run one of the teams that he beat was new york's lincoln high school that featured stefan marbury and oh yeah by the way he dropped 33 on them but he was supposed to play at ucla and today you will hear the rest of the story. He played 10 years of professional basketball and had some incredible experiences overseas and here in the United States. He was born the same day as Israel Kamaki Vivole, Cher, James Stewart, and Enos Cantor, and was born the same year as Usher, Ashton Kutcher, Manny Pacquiao, and the late Kobe Bryant. He was featured in Sports Illustrated and ESPN, among others, played against KG and the late Kobe Bryant in high school, which he'll talk about later, and was given the moniker Manchild after he scored 40 points in a game at Carson High School on his 12th birthday. Now, Manchild, the Shea Cotton story, tells Shea's incredible story. You can find out more about it online at therealmanchild.com. Former Ron Artest, now known as Meta Sandiford Artest, called him the LeBron James before there ever was a LeBron James. And when Jahidi White was on our show, he said that Meta should be given more credit in the space of mental health because of the light that he has shined in that area. And we'll talk about that later as well, because uh, Shea nearly took his own life. He is the founder and CEO of the Shea Cotton Basketball Academy, which is an organization that empowers youth through education, basketball, mentoring. He's a girl dad like me. You can find him online 
on Twitter and Instagram at Shay Cotton. Shay is S-C-H-E-A at Shay Cotton. So Shay, I saw you, like I said earlier, on KJ Live while back, and it was, it was, it was a great interview. And we can't thank you enough. Uh, honored to have you uh, join us in the Sports Daily Podcast where everyone deserves a seat at the table. Thanks for having me, Mike. Really a pleasure. All right. Hey, so listen, so I'm from Detroit, right? And you're, you're from L.A., so we, we, could, we could talk about uh, <laughs> what's the better city in terms of basketball players because, you know, I grew up a little bit before you and, and obviously Derek Coleman and Glenn Rice and, you know, Andre Risen, you know, who's a two-sport athlete at Michigan State and many others, right? Um, Jalen Rose, right? Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, just a lot of people. Antoine Jobert, like just old-school guys. And so, uh, you know, I always love to hear conversations. We had Jim Herrick on, who obviously you knew very well, twice. And he talked about how when he was growing up in West Virginia, uh, he would go into the black neighborhoods because they didn't care about segregation. They just won the ball. Right. And so the black, you know, players would go into his neighborhood once or twice a week and they would just play and no one cared about the segregation. They just want to play ball. And so a lot of things we talk about on the show sometimes have to do with street ball, which is not a thing anymore. Right. So I want you to talk about, talk about your upbringing is, is very layered and there's a lot of aspects to it. Uh, you have some regrets, you know, there are some very interesting components to your upbringing, but, but talk about that part of it, how you learned to, to be tough and, and just to, you know, play in the streets and, and how that helped you later on. I think it all started at home. Um, my, my late great father who passed away about seven years back in the completion of our documentary, Man Child. Uh, he, had, he basically initiated that, that toughness and implemented it into our lives, me and my brother from young. I mean, we started doing construction with my dad, 10, 11 years old, just wow. teaching work ethic, you know, and what it is to, to be blessed to have a gift, you know, and be able to appreciate that by doing stuff that maybe you don't necessarily like manual labor that will wear you down and make you physically exhausted. You know, it yeah. really hated it at the time what I, what he was doing. I thought it was punishment, but it was actually, it was actually something that became a blessing for me because it, it made me push past the adversities of my life and, and go far mm -hmm. beyond wildest, you know, imagination and, and go past my peers. Cause a lot of guys would work hard to a certain point, but then they would quit. You know, I think I, I started to embody that, you know, training with Marv Marinovich and yeah. growing up in, in the L.A. Harbor area, you know, with all the, the gang elements and, and the drugs and stuff that was running rampant in the early 90s. It was it was a wild place. So I had to really, you know, focus and sacrifice and, and be disciplined for the things that I wanted. And things, you know, weren't necessarily coming easy for me at that time. Financially, we were going through a lot of different challenges. So, you know, I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder because I had something to prove. And, uh, you know, I, I found the game of basketball around 12 years old when I walked away from baseball and I was I was actually pretty good, you know, but I got bored. Basketball was like the thing. I picked the rock up and was playing on the playground and playing in the park and playing against older guys all the time, training against high school guys in middle school, you know, training against college players in high school, pros in high school. It just it, it ran rampant. I mean, I can't tell you, you know, toughness wise the layers that I had to go through to develop, to become the player that I became because I would constantly test myself against older, stronger opponents. I never was complacent. You know, I always looked for that one-on-one -on -one battle and I wanted to compete. Yeah. Sorry for your loss. Um, and I, I know that LA Harbor area pretty well. We, we would go down there when I was a Juco coach and play at LA Harbor. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, it, 
you know, you know what the area is as soon as you're, you're driving into that, that space. And yep. uh, how did you not get caught up? Family, you know, just disciplines. I had a lot of family that was in the streets, you know, guys I grew up with too. So I got yeah. a chance to see you know, through that process what it was like going visit some of my cousins locked up, you know, where there's jail, penitentiary, you know, burying some of my closest friends from young. At 15 years old, my best friend was murdered. So, you know, life changes real fast. And it's not about whose city's tougher. Death is death. And the reality is we're all dealing with some type of adversity, you know, some more than others. But, you know, the inner city dynamic in North America is set up for people of color to fail. And people need to understand that the only way you change that narrative is, is you got to pour into the seeds, the youth, you know, and give them different life experiences and show them examples of successes of people of color that have nothing to do with sports and entertainment, but realistic professions that you can you can attain through education and hard work. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Two of my former players, <clears throat> uh, when I was a, I was on the men's side 15 years, and I've been on the women's side 15 years. So I was at the college level for 23 years. And so two of my former players came on the show. One of them is a pretty big time actor in Hollywood, uh, Will Catlett. And the other one um, is an artist, very famous artist in Cleveland, Antoine Washington. Um, and it was interesting to hear them talk about what you're talking about, that it's important um, as one of the layers to see people of color in successful spaces, not just in sports. Right. Uh, because there's always that uh, association that the only, you're only ticket out of sports. And, and that just, that can't be the narrative anymore because we have a disconnect with education. You know, we have a disconnect with healthcare. Uh, there's just a lot of disconnects. And so I, the, the question I want to ask you, um, just to give you context, you mentioned your dad and, and how powerful his influence was on you. Um, did he, did, do you think he saved some of your friends' lives as well, even though some lives were lost? Do you think that he was a father figure to some of, some of your friends? And because of that, they went down the right path instead of following in the footsteps of some of those other people that went down the wrong path? Yeah, I think there were guys that that gleamed to my father's, you know, his bedside manner and just his disposition. He was a no-nonsense guy, he demanded respect, but he was a fair person and he was a man of integrity, you know, and a God-fair man. And I think mm. that showed, you know, people felt that in his in his vibration and his energy when he would come around people. And I think he just led by example where certain people were like, wow, you know, he class act, you know, professional guy, straight up dude, no nonsense. Mm. And people wanted to, you know, cling to that because, you know, even today it's a rarity. I think a lot of people do things for financial gain with very little integrity in it. And that's something that that's lacking, you know, and that, that's how I live my life. It's not about the money. It's not about the NBA or, you know, whatever. It's the, the financial side of it is one aspect. I think the real wealth is in, is in love and to be able to, you know, live a life of service. I think when you create something dynamic and you create a demand that the money follows, but, you know, if you operate in your purpose and you live your passion, you never work a day in your life. Yeah, you weren't always with uh, that mindset, though. You, you, so let's talk a little bit about where your mindset was in your previous life, if you will, um, because there was a lot of things that created bitterness and uh, were just plain and simply um, beyond unfair that were probably racially motivated uh, when it comes to um, some of the decisions that were made either by the NCAA or uh, institutions of higher learning. And so, uh, you know, 
I said in the intro a little bit about your success in high school. Um, and so when you were making a decision uh, going through that recruiting process, because we've seen, seen that shift a little bit in terms of how that process is now, uh, less street ball, more AAU, you're, you're an AAU coach, you know, you're a trainer, uh, you're giving back and, and not just from a skill perspective, but, but as young men, you know, a lot of them of uh, men of color, young men of color, but so, so talk about what it was like, you know, looking back on it now, your experience uh, being recruited, the recruiting process, having an auditory uh, learning uh, challenge that you were trying to deal with and, and be honest about, and it was used against you. Yeah, I, uh, I had ADD and didn't really discover that till like my junior year in high school. So, I mean, I was probably like a B average student across the board for the most part, but you know, school was was something that I did because I knew I had to and I would apply myself, but I wanted to play basketball. You know, I felt a lot of the educational component was was kind of like fluff. You know, the, I yeah. enjoyed I was really good with numbers. Uh, I struggled with English just because of the way things were portrayed and they were explained and, you know, how the verbiage read. Yeah. It didn't make sense to the commonality of the English we speak in the street and yeah. how we interact with each other, even in the classroom with my peers. So that was always a bit of a disconnect. I enjoyed um, history. I really enjoyed science, even though some of the history was skewed. As I learned later, you know, older seeking the true information. Um, for me, it was it was tough, honestly, because I, you know, when I came into high school, I was already nationally ranked. I was already yeah. known. ESPN had had me on for a couple, you know, ESPN's class of sports, America, Sunkiss Kids. Mm-hmm. That was the thing, you know, in our adolescent youth at that time before social media that's all we really had and people today don't really understand how big that was then because it's just it runs rampant today right it's it's so diluted with the mass media social media outlets and all the opportunities that kids have I think a lot of that gets lost in translation but for me the real challenge was was stepping up to the plate and, and showing up and showing out every time I touched the floor because I knew that I was putting people in the seats I knew people were coming to either watch me succeed or fail and either way it it drove me you know to become the best player that I could become and you know things happen out of my control along the way you know I gave it everything that I had and you know currently I mentor you know as you mentioned the training component that's one small sector I'm actually putting together a foundation we've just created academy of ideas Mm -hmm. uh, on a citywide league in the city of Long Beach that will run year-round that will cover the after-school hours when crimes are being committed and uh, things of that nature you know, we want to we want to lower the uh, teenage pregnancy rate, increase the, the graduation, high school graduation rate and give kids opportunities to go to college or go right into a trade where you can become success stories and, and have something to give back to your family. When you become an adult, and you know, you get married and things like that. That's how you change the narrative. you got to go to the youth. You can't worry about the adults. A lot of them are, are lost causes and, you know, old habits die hard. But if you can get to the youth it changed that, that mentality and that mindset, you know, you can, you could do a lot. Man, I've heard so many stories about uh, people that had places to go until midnight, you know, in the inner cities. And if it wasn't for those things, whether it's midnight leagues, you know, back in the day or whatever it was, uh, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have survived it. And they wouldn't have, you know, been able to have some success later in life because they were just on the streets. So I'm glad you brought that up. They, it's interesting you talked about the English component because, you know, I never thought about that because when I, I went to school in Detroit and I spoke broken English all the time and it was fun 
as shit and it was hilarious and I was clowning, you know, and it was, but I never, I never thought about the fact that if you're talking a certain way, you know, for, for the entire day, a certain way, then trying to be proper, how difficult that must be. And then you add a, a you know, being ADD and being auditory and, you know, man, I just uh, can't imagine what that must have been like for sure. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's crazy. And that's interesting because I never really thought of it in those terms. And so you brought up the crowds and it's interesting. Um, you wouldn't know this, but so I was in Baltimore when Tamir Goodman, the Jewish Jordan was a sensation there. And so they had to rent out um, Loyola of Maryland's gym because they had a gym uh, at Talmudical Academy that only like had people on the perimeter of the gym. Like there's no seating. And so here this guy's being recruited by Gary Williams in Maryland and, you know, just a sensation Sports Illustrated like you. And man, <laughs> they were selling th those crowds out five, 7,000 people. It was crazy. And like you, he just felt like he had to perform. And it was, I mean, it was, it was incredible. So I, how was it performing in front of those crowds? Like, did you eat it up or were you like, were you like nervous? Really sponsored by Moolah Kicks. Moolah is M-O-O-L-A-H, like money, Moolah. And kicks, like shoes, one word. You can find them online at moolahkicks.com. And it's the first ever female-only brand basketball shoe. So it's a shout-out to the basketball street culture. And it is also about fighting social injustice and gender inequality worldwide and here in the United States. And again, you can find them at moolahkicks.com. And now back to this incredible interview right here in the sports. I live for it. I mean, you yeah. always and jitters. I think that's normal. Any competitor is going to feel that if they don't, or they say they don't, they're lying. Uh, you know, that that's just that that ticker inside, that yeah. anxiousness, right? I, I look forward to it. It was it was a safe haven for me. It was a, my yeah. sanctuary, right? I was dealing with so many things in my elements growing up. You know, LA is a tough place. There's so yeah. many. There's over 400 different street gangs, man. So literally every gas station you go to is probably a, a, a rival neighborhood that you really don't belong in. So when you think of it in those terms, what takes out a lot of our good good players is off the court stuff. So for me, when I stepped on the floor, it was time to shine. I worked so hard in my training. I made sacrifices. I saw my father, you know, he implemented hard work and dedication. You know, he did construction. He'd get up at 5 a.m. and come home at 7.30 at night, never complain. And I would see that and I said, wow, you know, we have the same blood. If he could do that, I could definitely do this and I could not only do this, but I could master this. And that was kind of my mentality. I wanted to be a guy that people talked about for a very long time. I wanted to do stuff on the floor that very few people can can emulate. And uh, I feel like I accomplished that goal. I, you know, beside the NBA experience, I mean, I, I pretty much owned everything below that. And the NBA is, is what it is. It's very political. Um, all of the best players aren't in the NBA. So, you know, they need to dispel that rumor because that's false. And there's a lot of politics and a lot of it has to do with a stronghold, the right agent, the relationships with the GM, blah, blah, blah. You know, and it's if you're playing the game the way they want you to play, then maybe they'll reward you. And I wasn't in nobody's pocket. I wasn't taking money. I was the biggest figure in my city next to Magic Johnson in the ninth, including all the college players. So things that happened in my career were weren't conventional. I wasn't prepared for that lifestyle. You know, my mother and father were basketball players. They were raising two law-abiding citizens. God fearing that we're good people. 
and with great work ethic. So, yeah. and they accomplished their goal. And I think that's the true victory. You know, it, it's not about the sport, how far you can go. It's, you know, what are you becoming while you're in it? And then what are you doing when you're done? That life of service, are you giving any of that back to anybody that really can use that help? And that's something that I pride myself on today because I think I'm, I'm batting a thousand in that category. No, you definitely are. Uh, but like I said earlier, you went through a rough spell um, before you got to that point. And, you know, a lot of people do. Um, yeah. Will we ever solve the gang problem in America? And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm an optimistic guy, but that's a tough one. You know, you can't save everybody. You know, you got you got to do your best and people have to want to be saved. You got to want the help first to be able to get help. And I think uh, the I element- got let me let me let me ask you a quick question though while you're in the middle of that thought. Uh, one of my good friends is is a professional referee, a high college referee, and he works in the in the uh, uh, the juvenile system. And so he sees a lot of these guys, and he's got a he's got a street name of um, Shrek because he literally looks like Shrek. Mm-hmm. And he said. From his experiences in the last 17 years, if you don't get a hold of these kids by the time they're seven and they're in a gang, forget it. Yeah. Well, you won't save them. 99% of them you will not save. Is that true? Uh, I, I can't say I necessarily agree with that. I think it comes down to the relationships and, and, and the individual that's you know delivering the message to the kids. Well, and the resources you talked about earlier, making sure there's resources and money right. put back into those areas, which are right. not, what's not happening. Right. And that's the relationships that I'm talking about. When you have the municipal side down and you have people in your, in your corner, like their parents and then uncles and aunts that are familiar with who you are, it really helps administer to the kids below because a lot of it today is, you know, who's who and it's impressionable. It's all about the social media and instant gratification. I think that that narrative can be changed, but you have to have the resources in place. You have to have the finances to implement academically. You have to have finance to implement mental health programs. You have to have crisis counseling programs. You know, there has to be elements in place. You have to have an athletic component where the kids can have something to look forward to, to motivate them in school to get better grades. You know, you have to figure out what are they lacking and then pour into those spaces and then really cover kids and Give them that love and support because all kids want discipline. But the problem today is everybody's doing things for financial gratification rather than making a difference. Yeah. Fascinating. We could talk about that, about that for hours. Um, how did music impact you growing up? Huge. I think music was a scapegoat too. I, you know, I turned, I love Motown growing up, my family. Wow. Uh, so my father was a big Maze guy, big Marvin Gaye guy. You know, wow. So I would grow up listening to all these guys, Teddy P, you wow. know, Gladys Knight, Aretha Franklin. <laughs> yeah, you name it, all of it. And then some of my, my favorite artists in L.A., you know, like Snoop Dogg, he does a lot of sampling of old school stuff. So yeah. I'm a historian in that way. I'm not, you know, I'm 43, but I'm probably yeah. a soul, you know, at the end of the day. Wow. And music was a scapegoat. I'd be in pain in different places or I'd be frustrated about different things. You turn a certain song on and it mm. completely changes the mood. And I think that's special, man. That That's something to be taken seriously. No, it is. Jahidi White came on, and uh, as I said earlier, and he said it allowed him to go all over the world in his own neighborhood. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 
Sure. Man, that's amazing. I'll ask you some uh, questions about that in the rapid fire. Um, so you and I both played Juco ball and uh, then you went to Alabama and were not uh, utilized as a positionless player. Uh, and so, you know, I don't know what your relationship with, uh, Mark Gottfried is now, but, but how, how was it playing in the SEC and, and, uh, you know, um, it was a, it was a tough road to get there. And, and I know that I mentioned in the intro a little bit about the NCAA and some things that happened, you know, where you were supposed to go to UCLA and play with Barron and some of those other things, but, now, after, you know, 20 plus years, what are your thoughts about that whole thing? Because I do want to talk about the NCAA because they're getting blown up and they're, you know, being called out for the frauds that they really are. And we've known for, for a long time. Well, I'm, I'm going to just say this, you know, uh, I'm a throw it through guy. I wasn't, I'm a, I'm a real dude. I wasn't taught to snitch. I wasn't taught to rat growing up. So, yeah. you know, guys like Baron, if I would have aired some things out that they wanted me to air out his career would have went totally different. So yeah. nobody's more special than what I did because they made it and I didn't make it. You know, people need to wake up and realize that travesties happen every day. Um, the SC2A was the Gestapo at that point. They governed everybody and no one governed well, them. They were the judge, jury, and executioner. They right. were they were doing everything. Right, right. Yeah. And, and a lot of stuff were was undermining. I mean, yeah. you know, my investigation was, was clearly a, a joke, okay? I have the yeah. head of in my film, my documentary, Guy Troop, and he's expressing that there was no wrongdoing, okay, on my behalf. They never cleared my name. They slandered my family's name, okay, and everybody looked at me like I deserved what was happening when I, I really didn't, and at the end of the day, from that point, I started to see, like, man, you know what? This world can be really cold, and everybody loves a winner, but they don't want you to win too much, so when, when I started having a lot of success and I was reigning supreme, and I wasn't in anybody's pocket. It was like a threat because it's like, well, we can't control this guy and his parents aren't on the tape. So how do we deal with him? And he's the number one guy out here. You see what I'm saying? So, yeah. and I'm a black man in America. Right, so it makes it a bit more challenging. Unfortunately, these are the realities that, you know, we need to have conversations about today. It's not about playing the race card. These are facts, you know, it's D DWB, driving while black, you know. And, yeah. You shouldn't have these issues. I shouldn't have had that talk with my father when I was a kid about how to interact if I get pulled over in a random traffic stop. How many Anglo-Saxon kids have that conversation with their parents? Zero. They don't have that issue. So these are conversations that need to be had where people can understand of, from other ethnic backgrounds what people of color in the inner cities of North America are actually really dealing with and what is what that does to your psyche, okay? It, it gives you somewhat of a disadvantage on some level and not only that, it, it makes you like, it makes you angry. So I had a chip on my shoulder for different ways. When I would get on the court, it was time to show. It was time to play. I said, you know, I'm, I'm coming from a rough city, man. Like my father's breaking his back every day to make ends meet. Him and my mother working together and building a business from scratch. My father with very little college education, you know, he graduated high school, went into a trade school and got his credentials and went right into the workforce. I think he had a family at 15 at that time. It was a different, different day. And I saw a man grow from humble beginnings to a million dollar home on the hill, driving a Rolls Royce. When I was a kid, I was young enough to remember and experience that. And I saw that and then things changed because of the misappropriation of our finances and the drug epidemic coming in, what they yeah. did with the crack, okay? And what that did to cities in North America. So people need to understand that it's not about 
you know, what you're doing is where you're going and how are you, how are you interacting with people to get there? Like, what do you stand for? It's not about what I'm saying. It's what other people are saying about me, you know, and how I feel about myself inside. And it took a long time to get here. You, you know, you mentioned that, Mike, I, I, fought, I fought depression and, you know, suicide for over 15 years. You know, in the film, I don't want to give up too much because I want people to, to be driven to go watch it. But yeah, of course. Film, the piece where, you know, I, I was going to take my life. That that was everything in there is real. I was in a very desolate, dark, just numb space. And I wanted it to end. I was like, how do I go from, you know, the poster child to like the whooping boy? And I looked around. I'm like, all I do is shake hands and kiss babies and help people when I can and be the best version of myself now. We all fall short at times. We all make mistakes. I think looking back, you know, there's really no regret there outside of maybe not even going to college, bypassing college and going straight into the league. You know, looking at it now, that's really the only other thing I would have changed. But quite frankly, I don't know if I'd even want to change that because I love the man of God I'm coming becoming today and the, the trials that I've had to go through to become this person because most people wouldn't survive it. That's the truth. That's the true story right there of faith and perseverance, you know, and that's more than money. I can impact so many people just through my story and experiences that they can glean to and pull from it and see a lot of similarities that maybe they're dealing with today. And you know what? That's what I get excited about, to be able to get on the road and do speaking engagements and show my documentary and do Q&As and stuff like we'll be doing in the next couple of weeks at Grand High School in Sacramento. And things like that is what I look forward mm -hmm. to. Man, I was going to go in four different directions based on when you were going to stop talking. And so the, so the last thing that I thought about was, and I think this is really important, because you know as well as I do as a trainer uh, and as a mentor and as a girl dad, that people have an easy out now. Oh, I ain't going pro. What's the point? You know, or any other um, easy cliche that they can use to, to quit. And they don't understand the grind now the way that we used to. Right. And so having said that, uh, I can tell you firsthand be because my father committed suicide when I was nine because right. I got cut three times. You, you talked about your why. And if, when you have a why and you partake in team sport and individual sports are fun too, you know, but when you partake in team sport, you can't possibly understand the tools that go in your toolbox that you can find later when you need them that help you with life skills and being able to navigate the various spaces in life. And so I think there's no stronger message than that for people listening that are coaches or, um, you know, young players that maybe got cut or don't feel like they have a, a place on their team, that there are so many more things that you're going to learn through sports that are going to help you later in life. And please don't quit. You know, Jay Billis talked about it, how when he came on the show, he talked about how his high school experience was awful. There's a lot of people that have awful experiences, whether it's on the streets, growing up or in sports, but it's not a reason to not grind and push through and be a better version of yourself. And, and it'll help you later be a better leader. And like you said, just a better man or a better woman. So speak on that. Absolutely. I think, um, the adversity is a, is a big deal. And I tell kids that I work with, whether it's mentoring, training, whatever the case may be, you know, we are going to go through adversities in life. And the true test of the character is how you're handling your adversities consistently. I think that's what would really uh, 
breaks us down and, and tells you what you're worth when maybe the most precious things that you that you value are taken away. And if your why is stronger than your adversity in life, you're going to win every time. And I tell people that. And if you fail to prepare, prepare to fail. There's no shortcuts with it. It's a process that we all have to go through in life to get things that we want. In the desires of our heart, there's a lot of adversity that lies in there. So, Shay, is there a disconnect there? Because you're, you and I are older school, right? And so we have an old school mentality to grind and you have a new generation of kids that want instant gratification. And so is there a disconnect there when you're trying to talk to them about life and to push through and be patient? Because, you know, things will shift and you'll, you'll notice the changes down the road, but it's, it's not an overnight thing. Yeah, I haven't really had a lot of issues, to be honest. When I go do speaking mm. and mentor kids, I grasp the attention pretty quick because I, you know, I, I do like a ritual of, of stuff leading up to the experience, you know, uh, pacing the room when I get in there, evaluating the energy, yeah. you know, uh, engaging people before I even say a word. Body language, you'd be surprised what yeah. body language can do and how it can move a crowd without even saying anything out of your mouth. So, you know, kids, they all want discipline once again, but you have to make a deposit to get a kid to open up. You know, you can't just come in expecting a kid to open up to you. Then you're like, who are you? You know, so you have to make it real for them and get them to, to grasp your message on some level. And if you can accomplish that, then I think you can get kids to open up and express some things personally, maybe that they normally wouldn't share with other people because they feel comfortable. Yeah, I'm glad you talk so much about the kids because, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's really changing the narrative with the kids. Uh, I think education is needs to be flipped upside down on many levels uh, and, and what's taught. But more importantly, in our homes, you know, we need to teach the kids to, to bridge this gap. You know, my daughter, I, I've talked about this before on the show, my daughter out of nowhere one day after, you know, because you don't know this necessarily, but after the murder of George Floyd, that's when I shifted this show. And, you know, obviously J.J. Reddick and, and Kyle Korver have been two very outspoken white um, allies that have come into these spaces and said, I'm not going to be complicit anymore. Carmelo Anthony has talked about how he wished he had done more early on after he went on stage, you know, during the ceremonies and, and spoke more on it after Colin took a knee. Um, <clears throat> so obviously we don't want to not recognize the other uh, black men and women that have been murdered but george floyd was the the trigger point for a lot of people and um what what are your thoughts since then in terms of where we are in terms of policy changes or viewpoints do you do, do you notice a change or is it is it the, is it the same old thing yes and no um i think there's been a lot of progression as far as um the the equality and as far as unifying people of color with with people that have uh, been in a position of power for a period of time, I think, you know, white Americans. Where? Start, excuse me? Where? Uh, well, in L.A. primarily. Oh, know, really? For, yeah, for instance, I think, um, you know, on, on the front lines of a lot of the protests, if you look at the demographic of, of, of ethnicity, you got a lot of white people that was out there. Right, that's what I was getting at. Yeah. And a lot of Asians, Hispanics, you know, uh, and black people as well. But a lot of people... Uh, from other races were, were unified, stepping up like enough is enough. We're tired of seeing it. The George Floyd thing was ridiculous. I mean, me personally, watching that, 
it made life really challenging for me, man, for probably six months after I see, I saw that on, on film. Because in the street, I was like on, on point, ready. Like, if somebody come to me, they're going to get dealt with. And the cop is not about to take my life in a random traffic stop. You know, you know, I'm just going to have to go out. That was my mentality. Like, I'm not going to let you just do what you want to do with me. Like, you know, because it it's that I have rights too. You know, they say freedom of speech and it's a free country. That's skewed also, okay? It, it depends on the perspective. I think when George Floyd hit, people were tired and it, it was a boiling point. We have to be smart enough to read between the lines also and focus on our own communities, rebuild that infrastructure and then work outwardly. I think in America, we're too busy helping other countries when we got a world of issues right here on our own that we could tackle and then work on helping people outside. But you mentioned, uh you know, things perpetuating in the media and stuff like that. And so we saw the NFL and really all the sports leagues take a stand, whether it was uh, uniting arms, taking a knee, you know, uh, addressing it on the court. Um, but you don't see it as much anymore. And do you think uh, sports have fallen short to continue the message? Really sponsored by PSK. You can find them online at lids.com pskcollective.com, tjmax.com, walmart.com, and now Kohl's department store at kohls.com. And now back to this incredible interview right here in the sports. Day. Great, great question. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, on some, some level, excuse me, I think uh, the NBA did a really good job um, showing the, the equality and the unity. Uh, I think the NFL made a hard push. Um I'm not sure how much Major League Baseball did, but you know that's America's sport, and it's not a lot of us in there. It's it's right. others, so that's a different dynamic. I think where we are today, we're so divided. It's sad, man. I mean, it is. It, church and state—they've taken these things out of the equation. Um, I feel like that's very important spiritually. You know, whoever you confide in, there needs to be some kind of grounding. You have to be accountable. So there's a necessity for that. Now, when you take that out of the equation. Now I'm being led by the things of the world and that's going to lead you down a one way every time. So we have to get back to a position of unification as a country and understand that we all have to live, work together, play together. And we got to figure this thing out. You don't have to love each other, but you should be able to respect one another and, and, ha and have love for, for people, you know, in times of need, whether they're homeless or hungry or whatever the case may be. There's something to be said to have compassion and empathy in your heart for people. And that's something that's lacking. Man, <clears throat> that is a, <laughs> that is a tough thing. I mean, I just saw on the news yesterday, uh, anti-vaxxers chasing vaxxers down on the streets, beating people up. Like, it's just, it's just, it's just unbelievable. Some of the stuff that you see. Um, and there is so much division and, uh, you know, these people came out of their rat holes, you know, starting in 2016 and they were given a, a platform. And unfortunately, like you said, it created a lot of division. And, you know, I, I have I have a woman on the uh, down the street from me and she is she loves Trump so much. She she'd sleep with him. I mean, she just you know, she she's vaxxed, though, mm -hmm. um, but she's she's pretty firm in her beliefs. But she has listened to more of my podcasts and uh, come over a little bit to, to in, it, in it. And so if we like you said earlier, if we don't have more white allies uh, in our little corners, 
uh, being anti-racist, not just against racism, um, there are not going to be enough strength in numbers to change the narrative. Yeah, absolutely. And I think people need to wake up and realize that and understand what the history really is, right? I mean, yeah. we were put in a position to fail. It's not like people of color asked to be born in the ghetto. I mean, if you have a choice, of course you'd like to live in the suburbs if you could or in a nice neighborhood with money. But there are certain things that have taken place where it's been a, a, situ a situation that's become a system and it's skewed. It needs to be broken and reestablished, you know, where it's equal, where everybody has an opportunity. Take the funds out of the equation, put the resources in place. Right. The cream is going to rise to the top. Everybody doesn't necessarily want to go to college. Some kids may be smart and gifted. Maybe they start their own business and they graduate high school, go right into that. I mean, yeah. look, look what Elon Musk did. So, you know, you see a lot of people that are very wealthy. They dropped out of college. Some mm -hmm. of them got honorary degrees. So we, we put a lot of emphasis on education, like it's the end all be all, and it's not. You know, education is, is as important as the resources and the relationships that you build along the way and the social skills that you adapt to and can develop to help harness that and build something special. Like academics only going to take you so far. Athletics, right. academics together, oh, it's like a lethal weapon. Because as yeah. you said, when adversity hits, when you've been an athlete for years and you've battled in the trenches and you train and bust your butt, you're going to push past the adversity and come out on the other side where a lot of people are going to quit at the halfway point. I want to ask you one last question. The G League obviously is having success. And uh, Overtime uh, is the new league starting for, starting, uh, for 16 to 18-year-olds that pays them $100,000 a year and obviously help their education and uh, you know, supported by KD and, and, and Mello. Uh, do you like that idea? I do. I think it's, um, it should happen a long time ago. It gives, it gives kids, you know, to, to take power back into their own hands. I think they're doing mm -hmm. some things, you know, they're, they're teaching them. They still get their diploma there. So they're going through school yep. They're taking their SAT, ACT stuff out of the way. They're teaching them financial literacy stuff. Right. It's just life skills that are needed and teaching you how to invest your money with the IRAs and things like that. So, I think that's a great thing. It's only for the chosen. I think there's 24 right. kids they have in mm -hmm. the setup right now. Um, that needs to be extended. Yeah. It, it needs to be for all, not just for the, the, the kids that have a special talent because mm -hmm. the numbers are against you, right? Most guys won't make the league. So what I'm working on is creating something for the masses of kids in the inner city. And then it's gonna, it's gonna become a module and then we're gonna brand it across the country ideally then go global so because what my, my whole goal is to help the kids that probably wouldn't make the pros but have opportunity to go to college and there's a lot more numbers and percentages in that in that space let me ask you a question you're a girl dad and so these kids are going to make a hundred thousand dollars a year which is more than a lot of the WNBA players is that crazy or what? Just gives you a little perspective on still where we are with regards. And I understand it's it's a business model with the WNBA and they have less revenue, but they still have over $60 million in revenue. Like, is that just crazy or what? It is. I mean, it's sad. It's unfortunate that, you know, the women are are pretty much against up against the wall. I mean, they work hard. They, they've got some female ball players that, that are better men from a skill set, you know, mm -hmm. just end the game the right way. They got that part down in. Now, some mm -hmm. people, oh, it's boring to watch. They're not as fast, not as explosive. Well, it's it's a woman playing basketball, so it's going to look different. But if you appreciate the game, right. you can appreciate the way they play it. You know, and that part has to change, too. And I think 
the G League form, if they can create something like that for the women, that would be special also because a lot of women yeah. still have to go overseas if they don't make the WNBA. Yeah. So, you know, we create more opportunities in our own country. We change that narrative, and I think we can do more for our kids here because it gives them more hope. Well, man, if I don't make the WNBA, I can go play in this women's G League, you know, and make good money there and come back and coach in the summer if I want to and still have options. You know, when you leave the country, you're really disconnected. I mean, I yeah. played 10 years in national, and being on that road every year, man, it's tiring after a while. Definitely tiring. What was your what was your best experience overseas? Uh, different countries for different reasons. I think um, I love playing in Serbia, formerly uh, wow. Yugoslavia. That yeah. was one of the bigger, bigger jobs playing in the EuroLeague. But, uh, you know, it was frustrating because I'd play well and then my coach wouldn't play me for three games. So it was a very <laughs> weird, weird dynamic. You know, I had Vlade Divac on the team. Uh, Mark Fleischer was was my agent at the time who represented Vlade, so they couldn't infringe on my contract, so they couldn't take my money. But you know, as a player, as a competitor, I wanted to play, man. So that was really challenging. I love the culture. I, I grew to love the cuisine, the people. I still have relationships playing wow. in Venezuela, another beautiful country. Mm. You know, traveling to China, be it playing with Yao Ming before he gets drafted into the NBA with Shanghai Sharks. Wow, it's different experiences, but it helped me become a man because I was on my own. So when I came home, I said, I could do this in America standing on my head because that was the real test over there. Man, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I definitely want to travel more as I, as I get older, but I love hearing about those stories. KJ's talked about it. <laughs> His yeah, experience over there in Qatar. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. It's classic. Uh, all right, let's get to the rapid fire and then anything else you want to talk about before we, uh, before we, we bounce, it's been, it's been great chopping it up with you, whether it's the, the, the doc that you want to tell everyone about before we get out of here or anything else with mental health, um, you know, and how you navigated those spaces, uh, we'll leave the floor Sports to you. Sports Deli is sponsored by Sport RX, the leader in sport prescription eyewear. You can find them online at sportrx.com. And don't forget to enter the code DELI10 at checkout for your special 10% discount. And now back to this incredible interview right here on the Sports Are there better conversations in a locker room or a barbershop? Oh, man. Great question. Barbershop. (laughs) Great Western Forum or the Staples Center? Oh, man. I'm going to go Forum. Yeah. Wow. People, People don't know about that. Right. <laughs> That's old school right there. Chick Hearn or Michael Thompson? Chick Hearn. <laughs> yeah, of course. Butter's getting hard, jello's jiggling, or the refrigerator door is closed. That's Chicky, baby. That that was that was his famous line. I know. I love it. Favorite TV show growing up. Uh man, great question. Favorite TV show. Um I had so many. Gilligan's Island. Um wow. Yeah, I, I liked. Uh, Did you watch man, All in the Family, or was that after? Was that before your time? Yeah, I watched All in the Family a little bit too, but I, I liked uh, what was it? JJ, Good Times. I used Good to watch Times, it. yeah, 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 man, classic. Yeah. <laughs> Jeffersons, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely, oh man, classic. Uh, Jay Z or Eminem? Uh, Jay Z. Wow, you yeah, paused. I, like I like Eminem too, though. I saw an interview with him the other day. Man, he is he's he's so irritated with politics and stuff he's just like i'm i'm not doing it anymore snoop dogg or tupac i already know the answer to this one. Oh man 
<laughs> oh, maybe I don't. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a tough one right there, man. Um, I'm gonna go with dog. Oh yeah. yeah, that's what I that's what I thought. That's tough though. Yeah. Eminem or Kanye? We talking about early Kanye or now? <laughs> Let's go early. <laughs> okay. Okay, I'm 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 gonna go early. I'm gonna go Kanye. Ah uh, yeah, I understand that. Run DMC or Rock Kim? Uh, Rock Kim. Tell everyone the story about uh, what happened in New Jersey when you played against Kobe. NBA Players Camp, uh, Princeton, New Jersey. I was a sophomore, rising junior, 1995. Uh, we just won a state title. Uh, played against Kobe Bryant for the first time. Had a great one-on-one -on -one matchup, probably one of the best one-on-one -on -one matchups that I've ever had. Um, on that day, I was better. My team won. Mm. Um, at the nod as far as the, the top competitor. And it's something that I hold dear to my heart today. Rest in peace. You know, yeah. one of the greatest ball players to play the game in our generation. And uh, mm. I feel like myself that the world got a chance to see. And, you know, he did a lot of great things that represented that, that Laker uniform right. I hope they find that film one day. Absolutely. <laughs> I know you've been I know you've been looking for it, man. Right yeah. <laughs> uh Kobe or Larry? Uh, Larry Bird, that is. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm gonna go Cole. Yeah. yeah. Favorite movie of all time? The Five Heartbeats. Wow, interesting. Like yeah, <laughs> that's a good call. Oh yeah. Yep. Uh, waffles, pancakes, or French toast? Uh, man, it depends on what spot. My favorite spot here, uh, Bacon Bro. I'm going with the pancakes. Ooh, nice. Loving basketball or white man can't jump? man I, I love both of those movies so that's a tough one i guess it's on the day yeah kj's dad in there you know that's gotta that's gotta sway you a little bit right. <laughs> uh dr pepper or root beer uh which root beer barks sure i, I go bark <laughs> uh favorite food at a, a family reunion that makes you dance uh well, my favorite dish, my family's Creole from New Orleans, I would have to Ooh. say gumbo. Oh, man. Love gumbo. Ooh, Lord. When I went to the final, the women's final four uh, for the first time in Dallas, man, I had some seafood. Oh, man, that's seasoning. I mean, I'm in San Diego and we got some we got some big crab out here. But man, it was <laughs> it was amazing. OK, best mama joke. Your mom is so fat. She can't reach her back pocket. Your mom is so fat when she sat on a dollar bill and got up, there were four quarters. Your mom's so fat when she goes camping, the bears hide the food. The second one. <laughs> <laughs> the four quarters. Four quarters. <laughs> Favorite cartoon growing up? Um, probably the Jetsons. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Not Scooby-Doo, Fat Albert, Pink Panther. Wow. No, nah, I would say the Jetsons because it was futuristic, and I'm always yeah. like, "Wow, that's amazing!" Uh, favorite superpower? Um, as far as for myself, or like, mm -hmm. what, yeah, that you I'm, like, whether it's uh, being invisible or flying or underwater or whatever. Probably being a ghost. Ooh. Yeah, being be, being somebody that that's visible but invisible at the same time. You know? Wow, no one's yeah. ever answered it that way. That's fascinating, uh, man. For another time, I got another story about that—that that, crazy story that just happened to me about 
uh, my stepfather, one of my, the one that committed suicide, I told you about, he came and sent me a message through an owl. Oh, while, wow. I was, while I was on a walk one day, my last name's Hootner, right? So Hoot, Owl, crazy. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we're talking 43 years later, and he finally came and had the courage to send me a sign. It was crazy. MJ or LeBron? MJ. James Harden or Steph Curry? Curry. Wow. Really? Is, is uh, Harden a better scorer than MJ? Uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that. This is a different this is a different time. It's it much Jordan really had to work to get that 40 that he used to drop for six years before he even had Pippen coming in. He lost big in, in, in Chicago. So people yeah. forget. I didn't forget it. Yeah. <laughs> My Pistons kicked that ass for a while, though. <laughs> AI or Steve Nash? Uh, AI. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, was Kobe the toughest player you ever played against? Yeah, it was I would say him and, and Meta World Peace, you know, defensive, Man. you know, Meta best, and he took pride in. And Kobe, our one-on-one, that just that that uh, fervor that we both embodied, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it was the best I've I've experienced. Was he complimentary after that game? Most definitely, he showed wow. me love every time I seen him in the city after that. It, wherever we were at, the wow. year he got, that I was at Venice Beach. You know, he hopped out of his brand new Land Cruiser. And, and walked over to me and embraced me. I was walking the boardwalk. So, you know, I got a lot of love and respect for him. You know, I just hate the way he went out. I think that was a tough time for me too. When I got the word, mm-hmm. I was in church. So, you know, oh. just rest in peace and blessings to his family. Yeah. Um, favorite musical artist of all time? Favorite musical artist of all time? Well, uh, one of my favorite artists has been Busta Rhymes. We're born on the same day lyrically gifted out of this world i don't know too many people that can rap at that speed with him and a guy like twister out of chicago <laughs> so for sure i mean curtis blow and and uh eric b were 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 different you know krs1 right. buster ryan was definitely different yeah yeah he was amazing um thoughts on Kyrie in new jersey right now he's a very talented guy he handles that thing on a yo-yo i've never seen nobody Man. that sport so many different ways, you know, awkwardly. They're definitely the uh, odds-on favorite to win if he plays. Yeah, they're a different team with them on the court for sure. I would love to see them in the Lakers. Wow, that would be fascinating. Absolutely. You can make one rule change in the NBA. What would it be? Uh, one rule change in the NBA. What would it be? Um, that's a great question. Um, at, at this point, Right in the court, they're, they're, I think what they're doing mandating as far as the uh, the vaccination, the guys you know that that aren't going to play, they're going to be they're going to be fine. You know, I actually think that that's a good thing, to mm. be honest. Because if a majority of our country is being vaccinated to protect themselves and everybody else, everybody needs to fall in line, man. I don't, I'm lost on. That. I don't get what the big deal is. Like all these conspiracies and things. I have doctors that I'm tied into big time homeopathic doctors, nutritionists, herbalists. These guys have been vaccinated, okay? They, they want to live. No, who wants to die? You know, at the end of the day, if, if this proven that the vaccine can stop you from dying, that's, that's a mouthful right there. If I don't take it, it's like a crapshoot. I'm taking a chance every time I leave my house. But you understand why people of color are hesitant because there have been studies for decades that have, have, have affected the black and brown communities that you were lied to 
Right. And so it's there's skepticism, understandably. Right. That's why you have to do your homework. I waited six months before I got vaccinated. I watched CSNBC. I watched BBC World. You know, all of the different networks, all of the different FDA reports that came out, the CDC stuff. You know, I looked at what Fauci was saying. I listened to different doctors and, and people that I'm connected to here that, that got vaccinated that have a slew of clients that are multimillionaires. And I'm saying to myself, they don't want to die. I know they like their lifestyle. They like traveling living in that big house, driving that nice, fancy European car. Why would they get vaccinated, you know, if they felt like they were going to die? So people have to start doing their own research. Well, and to that point, uh, Jamel Hill, formerly of ESPN and now uh, who has her own podcast, uh, The Unbothered, uh, she's talked about this with regards to Kyrie on MSNBC, and she's written about it. That if you don't know, that then I'm here to tell you that COVID-19 has disproportionately impacted the people in the black and brown community. And so Kyrie, who has been known to talk about conspiracy theories, but he's also been known to be a humanitarian. He is a humanitarian and has helped uh, women, uh, people of color, donated his time and money. Uh, he's... Um, shed a light on mental health. But she made the point that he has to think about using his platform in a way where he is educating people about the fact that because uh, people in the black and brown community are disproportionately affected by COVID, meaning that they're dying uh, as a result of uh, COVID-19, that he should really think about promoting the vaccine because even though there's been reasons in the past that I just mentioned uh, as to why the people in the black and brown community are hesitant to take the vaccine, that he might be doing his own people a disservice. People of color are hesitant because there have been studies for decades that have, have, have affected the black and brown communities that you were lied to. Right. And so it's, there's skepticism, understandably. Yeah, I have Dr. Lane Rowling coming on on Wednesday. Uh, he's been on MSNBC. Uh, I heard him on Clubhouse, uh, you know, go at it. Uh, and people try and marginalize him because uh, he's basically because he's black and he's a specific type of doctor, but he has experience with the military. He's, he's a military vet. And he said there's other options coming down the, the road and, and he's going to get a vaccine at some point, but he hasn't done it yet. But he, he's a research guy, you know, just like you're talking about. He's a numbers guy, and, and the numbers don't – they don't really lie. There's a lot of deaths due to the vaccine, uh, 8,000, which is more than the last 30 years of vaccines. But but percentage-wise, like we're, we're athletes, right? We're coaches. We understand percentages. Yeah. Right? You want to play and the percentages. Had, my, no joke. You know, COVID is real. I had it for almost 40 days. I had oh. symptoms. I had no taste, no smell for over a month, oh. okay? My fatigue factor was way down. I could barely do like 15 push-ups. And it, and it taught wow. me about myself. There was two nights that I could barely breathe. Oh. You know, Kobe passed. He came to me in my sleep one night wow. when I was having trouble. And, and I said to myself, I make it through this. I'm going to do some things differently, taking care of my body. So I wow. exercise a lot more regularly. I drink a lot more water. And I focus on keeping the stress level down and, and dealing with mindfulness techniques. Man, that's awesome. Yeah, I teach yoga. I've been doing meditation for over 40 years. Uh, that's that's awesome. Uh, you know, I do vitamin D, selenium, vitamin C, zinc, 
B12. You know, I've been doing that for a long time because I have Crohn's disease. So I do it for other reasons as well. But obviously your immune system is your biggest ally. And when your body's, and it really speaks also to the black and brown community because there's higher incidences of cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, diabetes. And now if you're unhealthy, you can't fight off something like this when, you know, you have to. And then so you combine that comorbidities with the fact that you don't want to take the vaccine and now we see the disproportionate numbers it's just it's just a vicious cycle you hit it on the head the pre-existing health conditions on top of this with this pandemic that's why you're seeing the increasing death rate and you know these vaccination rates going down people are scared but if you're sick already it's going to make it more challenging so you have to be in good health or get in change your diet you know and take the supplement exercise everything Absolutely. It's a combination of things. Sponsored by City Lokes, C-I-T-Y-L-O-C-S. You can find them online at citylokes.com where you can go and make your own personalized license plate hats. They're so cool. You got to check them out. And don't forget to enter the code THESPORTSDELI at checkout for your special 10% discount. And now back to this incredible interview right here in the Sports Uh, Inside the NBA, a couple more questions. Chuck, Kenny, Shaq, or Ernie? Who do I like the best? Yeah. Uh, I love the way Ernie Ernie does a great job. I'm going to be yeah. honest with you. He, he, does. he, he, uh, he brings everybody <laughs> together and huddles the troops when they get out of hand, too. So <laughs> I love Ernie's position, man. Like, you know, I think some of the other guys, they can be like clowns up there sometime. Like, you know, they're just having a good time, which is good. It's a relaxed environment. Yeah. But I love the way Ernie handles the panel. I'd have to run him with Ernie J. I love it. Chappelle, Kevin Hart, or Chris Rock? Oh, that's an easy one, Chappelle. Man, he is <laughs> real, man, real. Yeah. Funny as shit, too. Uh, is Diana Taurasi the GOAT? Yeah, well, yeah, I, I, I guess so, according to the numbers, right? The, the, the stats look that way. I mean, a player that was one of my favorites watching was Don Staley and Lisa Leslie, oh. those two. Man, they were, they were fast. I'm trying to get uh, Cheryl on the show auntie came on and and uh you know she's busy with nike right now but that if that happens that'll be that'll be great we've had uh 17 wnba players on too we've had uh over 13 nba players and professionals like yourself so it's been it's been an amazing experience for me to listen and learn and hopefully educate some people and stuff like that um who do you love to watch in the nba right now i like to watch zion he's got that freakish athleticism that i that when i played man i like to watch him uh the right. guy Edwards down there in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to see LeBron play, you know, uh, and see what he does. Yeah, there's a combination of guys. I, I like to see Westbrook when he's in rhythm. You know, I, I like explosive guys that are tough. Zach Levine, yeah. you know, yeah. di- different guys like that. I really, I, you know, I've never been a Westbrook fan, even though the numbers are going to put him in the Hall of Fame. Uh, <clears throat> but I think he could be a guard version of Giannis. I think he could just be play bully ball. They don't need him to shoot threes. You know, Carmelo can do his thing. You know, LeBron can do his thing. They got some shooters. I, yeah. I, I actually like it. Uh, and if they play better D, you know, and, and are scoring in, in the 110s, I think they, they got a chance to win another ring. Yeah, I think the only thing that's holding back is there enough balls on the court. You know, I think the chemistry has to gel. They have to figure out who's who and what's what you know, and let people operate in their strengths, you know, and don't get caught up in the ego because this city, man, I, it tears down a lot of guys. I've seen a lot of great players come here 
and their career goes in the opposite direction just because of the distractions and the egos. Yeah, but I think if Westbrook and Melo were here early, you'd probably be right. But I think now in their at this point in their careers, I think they'll do anything it takes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, last go last couple. Favorite shoe of all time. Oh man, easy one. Jordan five. Ooh, I had the Jordan threes, the one with like the little webbing. Okay. Which one were the fives? Did that have the little on uh, the thing on the side? Like the tongue with the book with the air bubble at the bottom. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> I love <laughs> on and off the court. You know what I mean? Man, there was a guy uh, down here in San Diego, Chinaman, and he okay. sold these. Sh- he had every imaginable shoe downtown. Everybody went down there to get their shoes. He had he covered the shoes with saran wrap. Every shoe in the shop. You could have any five people at your dinner table, past or present, sports or not. Who would they be? Wow, um, that's a great question. I'd probably have to go with uh, man. I, I do a lot of work these days, so I mean that that's a that's a fast menu there. Let's <laughs> let's see where where would I start? Um, any historical probably- people? Sponsored by PSK. You can find them online at lids.com. PSKcollective.com, TJMax.com, Walmart.com, and now Kohl's Department Store at Kohl's.com. And now back to this incredible interview right here in the sports. Wrong. Public speaker, the man that passed. Him, um, probably Zig Ziglar. Wow. Um, I would like to have Nelson Mandela. Hmm. Um, I've got two more. Let's see. Let's see. Um, that, I'm stretching now, man. That's a tough one. You, you asked some good questions. Uh, let's see. I got two left. Let's see. Who would I uh, go Obama, with? Obama, Malcolm. Yeah, I'd probably like to. Yeah, I'd like to meet Obama for sure. Um, and probably, yeah, I, I'd probably want to meet Malcolm too. Yeah, for sure. You go on Clubhouse at all? Very little. Very little. There's a room in there, former NFL player, um, Pope from detroit and he hosts a malcolm x room and they play excerpts and they and they talk about it. i go in there just because i like to learn and very interesting stuff uh when you break it down because you know it, it's interesting because i'm jewish mm-hmm. and so we're taught to never forget and with slavery and in, in the black and brown community or white people are you know people say oh, i'll just move on it's like the opposite it's so arrogant and frustrating yeah. And so I like to go in these rooms to listen because I don't think we should ever forget. So things don't repeat themselves, which on some level, January 6th and other situations, we see that things are repeating themselves. Right. Right. Where do you see yourself in five years? Oh, man. Men- mentoring all over the world, um, having our system being modeled and really changing the narrative in North America and in our inner city youth. Um, I really feel good about the future. I think our, our kids are a lot more advanced today. Uh, they just need some love and support and, and they need to be shown the way, you know, for the right intention. Yep. The finance resources too. Yeah. yeah. Finances. Well, that's amazing. Uh, you know, whenever I hear someone come out on the other side and they make it through the depression and we've heard it from Shea Hillenbrand, major league baseball player, former all-star almost took his life. Mike Sweetney in the same draft as, as LeBron almost took his life. Val Whiting played at Stanford, almost took her life several times. You know, a lot of people have come into the safe space and talked about, you know, the whys 
right? The whys and the tough times and, and how they made it through to the other side. And I'm personally glad that you made it through, but I know everyone's life that you touch and whoever crossed your path now, uh, you're on a mission to um, help people in a way that maybe you never even saw uh, as a kid, uh, you know, and that your dad would be so proud of. Absolutely. I appreciate it too, man. I just want to give a shout out to, to uh, the Manchild family. Yep. I like to, to plug the film and, and tell everybody to go, go get it right now. It's available on my IG platform at Shea Cotton. Click the link in my profile and it'll take you right in. You can stream it. You can rent it. Uh, it's great. It's powerful. iTunes, it's available. Amazon Prime Video. Uh, I'll be up in Sacramento on the 24th of this month at Grant Union High School. Anybody want to come out and support student athletes, uh, it's going to be a great night. We'll do a Q&A as well. And uh, we're really excited about the future. I want to let everybody know we got Academy of Ideas. Our foundation is, is coming. Um, we're going to have most likely a citywide league for the city of Long Beach for fourth through eighth grade, awesome. which will be starting right around the new year. So a lot of great things to come. Well, I'll stay in touch for sure. Uh, it's not just something I say. I do it um, because we want to pour in to these spaces to, to help any way that we can. And uh, much love, much respect. Truly appreciate you coming on. And uh, if you could... I know this is uh, all the smoke question, but if you could have one person come on the show that you think would be a good fit now that you've shared space with us, who, who you think would be a good fit to, to impact the, the community and, you know, be able to teach people some things like you did. For your show, that is? Yeah. Uh, I would probably say, hmm, let's see, a good fit. Somebody that you can go after. I think um, a guy like Steven Jackson probably has a good message. You know, I think he's he's been through enough stuff where he can, he can impact some people as well. I think he's uh, turned the corner in his life. And uh, he's, he has a story of his own as also. He's a peer of mine as well. Yeah, so. of course. Yeah. Well, uh, people are seeing the real truth about the malice in the palace also. I mean, if, if there's any way to get him and Meta on just to talk about mental health, I, I just, I, especially in the black and brown community, how it's you're either roasted right? Or, or it's taboo. You got these two extremes, right? You're either made fun of, or you don't talk about that kind of shit. And so we need to demystify those things. Otherwise, we're going to have more people take their lives or go down paths that aren't necessary, just not right. necessary. We just need to normalize it. Right. Well, it's being vulnerable, being okay with being yeah. open and be able to express yourself from that, that intimate space that, you know, is, has been looked at in the past as a form of weakness. Well, if you want to come back and co-host with me, if Jack, he's busy, but uh, if you want to, if you want to reach out and uh, if he wants to come on, I don't care. I don't pay for any advertising. I don't have any hidden agendas. White people are going to listen to white people and black people are going to listen to black people. And unless we have this united front and this sort of strength in numbers uh, approach, it sucks that I can't go into certain spaces and talk and, and have them believe what I'm talking about. But that's just the reality of it. So I think there's an interesting dynamic and, and uh, uh, message that can be shared with various spaces. And so anything that people want to do, people are busy. You know, I talked to uh, a current female assistant coach in the NBA, and she told me, I want to come on your show, but I'm tired. I'm, I'm getting pulled in 50 different directions. So give us some grace. Yeah, you know it's it's exhausting to continue to have to talk about the same shit over and over and over again. So I'm sensitive to that. So just know that I'm not just asking you that question just to say, oh well, he came on my show, so now let's get a, 
you know, I, I, I do it because I think the, the message is important and, and I don't want it to take another murder to keep these conversations going. Absolutely. And I appreciate the opportunity. Anything I can do, man, I, I, I'll definitely do it. Likewise, we'll, we'll push Manchild as well. I'm going to check it out. I got that. I told you about the owl story the other day. I got to, I got to read her book. She's got a movie coming out also. It's called 37 seconds. Nice. Uh, if you, yeah. She died for 37 seconds and, uh, can't, and she, she knew it was going to happen. She had a premonition. So wow. fascinating story, Stephanie Arnold. So, all right, man, go ahead. I appreciate you. And, and we'll talk soon. Let me know if Jack uh, is interested. You know, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf is going to be coming on soon. You know, he, he was blackballed before blackballing was a thing and and his story is is amazing and he's doing the same thing you are he's helping people you know uh in these same spaces you're talking about mentoring and helping them with ball he was he was steph curry before steph curry yeah oh yeah he was tough yeah Holy he was tough. shit chris jackson could fucking ball that's right that's right lsu man Woo! lord have mercy all right we'll talk soon thanks a lot Mike. all right man talk to you soon all right much love man fascinating conversation with shay cotton <laughs> loved it uh, and for, the, for those of you that don't know who Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf is, man, look him up or Chris Jackson uh, before he uh, converted and changed his name. He was, man, literally like Steph Curry before Steph Curry. Uh, if you have any questions, you can always send us an email to thesportsdeli at gmail.com. Check out our website, the Sports Deli Podcast dot com and we hope you enjoyed sharing space with us today uh, another fascinating uh, conversation with shea cotton uh, who played his college ball at long beach city college now gives back to the city of long beach as you heard um, is creating um, opportunities for the youth to get them off the streets pouring resources back into his community uh, that he spent time uh in as a youth uh you heard his, the impact of his father not only with uh, his life but with some of the people that he hung around as a kid and and uh, helping them go down the straight and narrow uh and so many other things that he talked about today were just uh, thought-provoking and uh, inspiring and and uh so glad that he made it out to the other side so for dr j and coach k i'm hootie hoot Please reach out to your local politicians to talk to them about any injustices that you feel are happening as your voice does matter, uh, especially with regards to the disproportionate number of people of color in jail uh, and especially with regards to the three strikes and you're out and mandatory minimums and for nonviolent offenses. Black Lives Matter, stop the Asian hate, stop the bullying, and until next time, remember it takes a village. Much love. Peace.